possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. Ladies and gentlemen, I am extremely hype about episode number 10. We have Denise Murasan with us. Denise is a highly talented, very successful medical device sales rep. She graduated from University of Michigan with a bachelor's in science in 2011. She studied brain behavior and cognitive science. She completed the pre-med tract and MCAT. Very smart lady. Played tennis in college, three-time All-American, two-time Big Ten Player of the Year, career-high NCAA ranking of five, and she went on to play pro tennis after that. You think that's impressive? Her medical device career is even more impressive. Denise started with Boston Scientific as a clinical specialist. She then moved into Vertiflex as a startup. She was employee number 30. There, she was a clinical specialist, promoted to a territory manager, promoted again to an area sales manager. I don't think there's much else to say. Here she is. Without further ado, Denise Murasan. Denise, what's up? First of all, thanks, Jamie, for having me on. It's always good to catch up with you. And you've had a lot of uh, really great podcasts so far. So I'm just flattered that you have me on here today. So thanks. Anytime. As Jamie mentioned, I am in medical device sales. I'm an area sales manager for Vertiflex in Chicago currently. I've been with the company. It's going to be four years in April. And truly, this company is where my career has taken off in med device, and Jamie has seen part of that. So it's been a really cool ride. Yeah, no, I've absolutely been a passenger in that journey, just kind of watching you develop. And I know we, you know, we've become really good friends as well and colleagues. So, and again, part of the reason I wanted to bring you on, just super smart, and you know, you come from a very like humble background. And you got out of college, right? And so let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's pretty cool. So can you explain to the listeners what exactly, where you went to school and then kind of the athletic background? Yeah. So I went to University of Michigan, go blue, to play tennis there. I actually uh, studied pre-med undergrad and did brain behavior and cognitive science, which was really, really interesting. I did excel at college tennis. And so I decided to play professionally after for a couple of years. I did take my MCAT, was planning on going to med school afterwards, but I did end up playing tennis for about four years after undergrad and decided that I wanted to be home with my family and decided to check out med device sales. So did you just hear about it? I mean, a lot of people have a lot of different stories about how they, you know, either it's a friend or a family member or whatever. How did you, and it seems to really kind of hone in on on athletics. They always seem to understand like afterwards, like med device is kind of a, a good route. Did you have some people that kind of mentored you in the athletic side that went on to be in med device or how'd you find out about the industry? Yeah, so that's a really good question. To be honest, in college, I didn't really know about the industry. I was really focused more on the pre-med tract and potentially becoming a physician or an anesthesiology assistant. But my brother, who's 10 years older than me, he worked for GlaxoSmithKline for a long time selling vaccines. So that's how I first learned about it. And then once I graduated, I did have a couple friends who were athletes at Michigan that got into med device sales. And so as I was playing on tour, they would keep telling me, look, Denise, we think you'd be great at this. If you don't want to go back to school, just give it a shot for a couple of years and then you can decide. And so that's how I got into it. One of my best friends from college, Maggie, she was Bush. Now she's Maggie Wood now. She worked for Boston Scientific SCS. And when I stopped playing tennis, you know, I applied for probably 30 to 40 med device jobs, did not get one email back. But Maggie had a connection and a couple spots were open up for a CS position at Boston Scientific. And I interviewed and, and luckily I got it. 
So SCS, can you explain to listeners, because, you know, we get listeners, or at least I think we do, we get listeners from pretty diverse backgrounds, whether it's pharma, device, even sales that aren't related to medical device that may be looking to get in. So when you say SCS, just give like a slight overview of kind of your thoughts on what exactly SCS is. Yeah. So SCS stands for spinal cord stimulation. For those of you who don't know, what that is, I had no idea what it was before I started working with it. It's in the neuromodulation division at Boston Scientific. And simply what it is, is it's a, a device to stop pain signals for patients who are in chronic pain. Okay. So is kind of, does it treat any type of pain? Is it more like leg pain, arm pain? Like what kind of pain are we talking about? What does it treat? Yeah. So it's, it's indicated for back and leg pain, specifically CRPS, which is chronic regional pain syndrome but it can be used for cervical pain, any arm pain, thoracic, multitude types of pain, different types of pains. And the reason it works that way is because there's actually two small catheters that are placed in the epidural space and they stimulate the spinal cord to block pain signals in its most simple form. Very, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and I know there's a lot to it. And that's probably about like three, that's three podcasts worth of stuff. And there's a lot <laughs> to the therapy, but I wanted to kind of dig a little bit on it because I'm, I'm a big believer in it and I know it's a massive and growing market. So, so you're in Boston, right? You get in as a clinical specialist, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So clinical specialist, this is big. We actually have not. And this is also why I wanted to have you on. Like, so from a clinical specialist standpoint, what was your day to day like? So with Boston Scientific, when I was working with spinal cord stimulators as a clinical specialist, my day-to-day was covering cases and covering reprogrammings. Reprogrammings are there's an actual stimulator that's implanted in the patient's body and you can reprogram it through a Bluetooth type of device to cover their pain areas where they feel like a buzzing, tingling sensation to block the pain. And so my day was spent mostly doing those two things. And that's Truly what you're expected of as a CS, a clinical specialist, is case coverage and any type of account support. But I will say ever since I started my device, I did want more than that. So I would look for ways I could help you know, my territory manager grow the accounts, come up with ideas based off of what I had seen or what conversations I've had with physicians. Did you see yourself... Now, I kind of went through this with my brother as well, right in the beginning when he got started. But Going into it, so it sounds like you wanted more of a sales role. Clinical specialist, obviously, is a more clinical-focused role, as you pointed out, right? You're doing reprogrammings, you're meeting with patients, talking with patients on the phone, and covering cases. But did you know the whole time, and it sounds like you did, that you wanted more of a sales-type position, like sales is where you wanted to be? Because some people want to stay in the clinical specialist role, right? They don't want to They don't want to move up. They like it. There's nothing wrong with that. But you knew going in that you wanted to kind of more of a sales business side of it. Well, it's funny you ask that because looking back on my mentality, you would think I would have known, but I didn't at the time. So getting into medical device sales, I didn't really understand what sales incorporated in that capacity. And so I thought, you know, I did pre-med. I love the clinical side of this. This is it's why I got into medical device sales because I didn't want to just do any type of sales. I liked the healthcare aspect to it. So to be honest, when I first started, I thought I wanted to be solely clinical. And so I was in that role. But as I started developing and learning what the sales role entailed, I realized that you actually get more into those clinical and higher level conversations with physicians when you are in sales. And then I also love developing the business too. So I didn't know my first couple of years, but looking back on my thought process, I did know it, but I didn't know what the sales role entailed. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and no, thanks for that insight, Denise. I wanted to ask, because you just brought it up. 
you said you got with the territory manager, right? That you were working with and you correct me if I'm wrong at any juncture, but you said, all right, I want to help out with some business type stuff. First of all, that shows initiative, right? It shows that you want to, you kind of want to go to the next level and it shows the territory manager that you, they can offload some of that onto you and feel comfortable. What are some things that clinical specialists can do now that maybe we're, we're in that position that you were in where they wanted more? Like what kind of things did you ask the territory manager? Cause I feel like that's, that can be taken, it's usually taken pretty well, but it's also going to be taken like, oh, are they going to, do they want my job? Do they, are they going to take part of my territory? What little things did you ask just to try to help? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think first off, before I ask anything, I would just be really well prepared and take advantage of any opportunities where my territory manager was asking me questions. So if we were to have you know, a quarterly game planning meeting, I would come with my word document with each account and my ideas listed for what we could do to help grow the account. Now, she didn't make that mandatory for me. But I came prepared so that when we did have that conversation, if I came up with the ideas, I knew I'd be able to be more involved in seeing them through. Perfect. What about the operating room? Your first case, right? Do you remember your first case or no? I can't remember what. Yeah, I can't remember who it was or where it was. But I remember just feeling very very nervous on the inside. Yeah, because, you know, and it's particularly in spinal cord stem, right? I mean, I'm, whether it's, it's a trial or an implant, right? I mean, both can be complicated cases, but the implant obviously is a little, little more to it. So when you're in the operating room as a new clinical specialist or really any position, do you have any advice that you would give someone that's covering that case, like their first time in the OR? Because I know for me, it was it was very nerve wracking. I mean, when you're in there by yourself, right? I mean, you usually with any company go through a training period where you're kind of having a mentor and you're in the operating room with somebody else and observing. But when it's your your turn, it's your game. You have any advice at all? I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but yeah, no, it's a good question. So. I think a lot of times in medical device sales, we try and act like we know everything all the time. And that's not always true. So I would say when you first start out, take advantage of the fact that you are new. The doctor knows you're new. The staff in there know that you're new. So ask questions. If you don't know what's going on, just ask the physician. Say, hey, you know, this is one of my first couple of cases. Can you just explain to me so we're on the same page? And I think they'll respect you because they'll know that you will be even better prepared next time that you're with them because you're you're truly there to learn and not just kind of chilling, sitting back and watching. You know, I did a very similar thing when I first got into medical device. I mean, when I first moved to Houston, I didn't know anybody or anything. I just knew who the main players were. And I remember going to Alan Burton's office. So literally walked in and said, hey, do you mind? I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm new to, and I want to learn more about your practice and specifically radiofrequency ablation. I know you're doing it here in the office. You know, you don't know me from Adam, but do you mind if I come in and, and kind of learn from you? Again, not here to sell you anything. Just going to kind of pick your brain. And he literally let me in the, let me in the room. And so I spent the better half of a week in all his cases, just kind of not, again, not selling any of my products, not even talking about my products, but just in there, just watching him and asking questions. And, you know, I think it's important to understand that physicians like to teach. Most physicians like to teach you what's going on, or maybe they do things a little bit different and and they're proud of that and they should be. And so I think the good reps go in and take advantage of that, right? And not take advantage of the, to the point where, you know, you take up a bunch of their time, but they take advantage of the fact that you have a very highly educated professional there that's willing to teach you stuff. Absolutely. 
And I would also just add to that before you go in, you know, talk to other reps that have been in the room with the position. Everybody has a different personality in the operating room and our job is a service job. And so we're there to make them comfortable and, you know, provide the product for them and make sure everything's working properly. But if you can cater to their personality as well, they'll definitely appreciate that. Definitely. And we're going to kind of rewind a little bit on this. We've rushed over it. And first of all, Denise is very humble. She didn't just take a liking to athletics. She was extremely accomplished in the world of tennis. And I'm sure that you took, and this is a very commonly asked thing, right? And I don't want to sound cliche, but besides competitiveness, did you take anything away from athletics? I mean, in the interview process, a lot of times I'm sure you're asked like, hey, you play college athletics. What did you take away from it? You know, and I'm kind of asking you the same thing. But when you're on the job, is there any anything that you can say that, hey, I kind of as a life probably in athletics that you kind of learned and use every day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely more than one thing. I just think it's funny because growing up, people would always tell me, oh, you're whatever skills you learn playing tennis, that's going to carry over into your job. And I never really understood what that meant because I'm like, okay, tennis is a sport. Your job is your job. But no, there's a lot that carries over outside of, you know, just the typical competitiveness. I think the teamwork, right? Just knowing and not even just being a team player, but knowing how to work with different people. Tennis is an individual sport, but in college, I was on a team and catering to each person's, you know, goals and personality. And then on top of that, when you're playing a sport, it's not nine to five. Everything you do, eat and breathe is so that you can win. And I just think in corporate America and even medical device sales, it's not a nine to five job. Like you really need to eat and breathe and sleep this stuff to become a true partner to your positions and practices. And so I think that's definitely carried over of realizing this isn't just going to be during the day. And my family and friends are extremely important to me and a big part of my life. But I do feel like continuing education on my own is important to succeed in this job. It's everything. I'm so happy you brought that up. I mean, I'm a big believer in that and a lot of things you just said, but in particular, the nine to five, like you don't, when you come into this industry, it is certainly not a nine to five gig. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not about even knowing you need to know everything in in your specialty, but you also need to understand your market. Like in your case in Chicago, it's a major medical market. That's a big behemoth of them. I don't care what you're selling. I mean, GI, pain, cardia, any specialty you're in is huge. I mean, big companies, small companies, they go there as one of their top markets first. And so you kind of got to understand what's going on. I mean, I'm not saying if you're an interventional pain, you understand everything about cardio. But if you're an interventional pain, you understand not just your reimbursement for your product, but you understand... What the other stuff, what's the hot thing besides your stuff, right? That they're doing, what's the reimbursement there? It's different conversations that you can have with physicians that take you to the next level. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, I feel like, probably because I'm just a huge believer in it. And, you know, something I've done, you know, starting my own business is build relationships with other companies that are like pretty far outside medical. Like I recently, actually, the name of the company is Valet Health. They're doing some really cool stuff in the healthcare marketing sector. And I've kind of brought them to a couple of physicians and had them speak about kind of their digital marketing side and some things that they're doing and some reputation management type situations and just a lot of different things. But, and I digress, but anyway, it's been a nice value add because it's been interesting for me to learn one, but it's also been very cool to watch the physicians engage them because that stuff hits their bottom line. 
I mean, that online digital presence, I'm not really talking about social media, just more of a website, WebMD type presence. That's kind of what Ballet Health focuses on. It's been really fun kind of learning. I didn't know anything about that stuff prior. So anyway. Well, that's huge now. That's where medicine is going towards. But to bring it back to your question, there was one other thing that I think is really important that we don't necessarily talk about in med device sales as you're growing in your career, but it's being coachable, right? If you want to move forward, it's really true. What you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I think it's really important to, you know, ask questions to see what it takes to get to that next level, but don't rush because you've taken as much as you can as you when you're a clinical specialist, you know, when you're an associate territory manager, because once you're at that next level, you're on your own and it's all on your back. And so I think what's been really helpful for me in taking my skills from tennis is all my coaches said I was really coachable because that just means you want to get better. It doesn't mean it feels good getting that negative feedback sometimes. It definitely doesn't feel good, but it's always for the best. You can always grow from it. Oh, I think in me in particular, I can improve in this tenfold, but that's a great point. Coming from athlete, you I'm sure you've gotten had days where you got like you felt like you got nothing but negative feedback. But you got to be able to turn that feedback into making yourself better and up in your game. Right. It's the reps that take negative feedback and then put themselves in a corner and dig themselves in a hole and put their head in it that they end up failing in this industry and they're not here for long. I mean, because you're going to get shot down. You might have a get negative feedback from a doctor, even. For me, it's not negative feedback, it's just feedback. You know, everybody wants you to succeed. The position you work with, if you succeed, then you're a good support system for them. If you're a manager, they obviously want you to hit your quota. So everybody who's giving you that feedback wants you to succeed. And so you have to keep that in mind when you're having those conversations because it's not easy, but it's always good to grow from and you can grow much quicker if you get that feedback regularly. Yeah, that's an incredible point. Yeah, I didn't even really, I haven't thought about that. I mean, I do think about it, but that was really nice to bring up because I think a lot of people needed to hear that. So I want to kind of reel it back in a little bit too and talk about, so clinical specialist, you were interested, obviously, to take it to the next level. Ask the TM if you could do some different things. Obviously, very prepared. Preparedness is a big part of this job. Again, I don't care what you're selling, SCS or otherwise. So you get your opportunity to get promoted. How many years were you in the clinical specialist role? I was in the clinical specialist role for three years. So two years with Boston Scientific Spinal Cord Stimulators and then one year with Vertiflex. Okay. So two years on the SCS side, and then you went to a company called Vertiflex. Why did you make the jump from Boston to Vertiflex? Yeah. So at the time, I wasn't looking for jobs. I actually, at that point, when you hit the two-year mark, you'll start getting a lot of those messages on LinkedIn in regards to other jobs. And so I would have a lot of other newer spinal cord stimulator companies reach out to me. And so I would take a first interview just to get more insight onto what that product was. So I knew how to better sell Boston Scientific's SCS. Love that. <laughs> so Vertiflex reached out to me and I just took that first interview, took the first call with the recruiter to see what it was about. And they sent me their clinical study and I was floored. You know, I thought it wasn't real. And working in the pain space, I definitely saw the need for it. So just a little bit of background on what Vertiflex is. It's a minimally invasive spine implant for mild to moderate lumbar spinal stenosis with neurogenic intermittent claudication. So essentially, it's just patients who are older, they can't walk for very long. You'll see them on walkers or leaning over the grocery cart. And they say they can't walk for more than a block. They're more comfortable when they sit down. And unfortunately, these patients are older and have other comorbidities that won't allow them to go through a major back procedure, which would be a fusion or a laminectomy. 
So that's why this device was created because these patients were no longer getting relief from conservative care, which would include epidural steroid injections, PT, med management, and their quality of life was really low. So when Vertiflux sent me their clinical data at that time, it was two years. I definitely saw the need because as a spinal cord stimulator rep, when I had a patient come in for what was called a trial, they told me they had no pain when they were sitting down. I knew it wasn't going to work and I didn't know why at the time. And that's where Vertiflux fits in. It, it treats that mechanical component of pain. What did you love about the clinical study? Because I know, I mean, obviously I worked there and I as well, extremely impressed. The gold standard of a study, in my opinion. I mean, even now to date, I mean, my eight years in the industry, I've, I haven't seen a better study. What did you really love about it that kind of stood out? There's so many things that stand out about it. It's an RCT level one study. So it is your gold standard, top of the line, best study that you can have. And it is the largest study that has ever been created for a stenosis-related device. So it's truly the best of its kind in what it's treating. And then the results as well. I mean, patients, 80% of patients who have this procedure will have a positive response to it. And then they actually took that clinical study out to five years after I was hired on. And at five years, patients are reporting 75% relief of leg pain, 81% increase in physical function, and a 90% satisfaction rate. Denise just broke that down. I mean, no, that's it's, it is really it is very impressive, though. It's a great study. And for those of you out there who kind of lost her a little bit, she's this device is it's a phenomenal therapy, very, very fun device to sell and, and was very fun to be a part of. So you when you joined Vertiflex, that was I mean, that was before me. It was a small company. I think some people are scared of small companies. They want the big, they want the Boston, they want Medtronic, they want the big kahunas. And then so you went from a big company to a smaller company, which was how many employees that do you even know how many employees they had when you were hired? I think I was like the 30 something hire, like including corporate sales. I was yeah. the second round of this group that was hired on. That's so cool. Let's just say you're even if you were like 34 or whatever, you're in the 30s. That is, if you think about it, that's super early. And so you were a part of kind of helping Vertiflex grow. When you were making that decision, was there any hesitations because they're a smaller company and you were coming from a bigger company? Or was it just you saw the study, talked to a couple of people? Did you bring to any doctors to ask them what they thought? Yes, but I was terrified. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. I was scared to make the jump because Boston Scientific is such a well-known company. I was selling yeah. a good product. At that time, it was the market leader. But I will say, in the interview process, Adam Uten brought me on. He was the head of the clinical specialist team. He really pressured me into accepting before I went to corporate in a, in a good way. You know, We negotiated on my salary, and they came to where I wanted to be at, and I really couldn't pass it up. And to be honest, looking at the clinical study, doing my research behind it, looking at their reimbursement, they did get a Category 1 CPT code, so they were getting reimbursed by Medicare at that time. To me, it was a win-win situation. Even if it flopped, I took the risk and went to a new company, helped bring a brand new product to market. That was a groundbreaking therapy, no competitors. And so for me, I had nothing to lose. I was very nervous making that decision, but I'm so glad that I did. I mean, obviously it speaks for itself, but it's an incredible decision. I fully support you on that. I mean, that's it's not easy to do either. It's not an easy thing. There's hundreds of people right now probably going through the same thing in different specialties or even within pain saying, that should I make the jump? And it's just, for me, it's more of a gut feeling. Like I've just always gone with how my gut feels and the people that I interact with during the interview process. If I like that and I feel good about that, which it sounds like you did, and it sounds like Adam kind of obviously really wanted you, right? Because they worked with you. And negotiating your salary is a whole nother topic too, because I think 
that's an important thing. And I think some candidates are scared to, I'm not a recruiter, but most candidates are scared to negotiate. Is that something that you knew, like they just gave you your offer and then you were like thinking to yourself, I'm going to come back? Or is that more, is that natural for you to do that? Or does somebody kind of coach you to do that? Well, so with my first position at Boston Scientific as a clinical specialist, I didn't negotiate because I was just so happy that they offered me the job. Yep, I'll take it. Yeah. (laughs) I learned from that scenario to definitely negotiate because once you're in the company, you know, you can, you can't abase higher in sales. And so I knew that I wanted to to try and kind of similar to my thought process, as far as accepting the position, it wasn't going to hurt. And I was lucky because I was early on in my career. So I felt like it was definitely worth the risk. Yeah. And this is, this is very, I mean, this is year three total, right? So this is three years in Vertiflex, which is just unheard of. So you get in and obviously goes without saying small company, there's a chance there for upward mobility, probably more so than in a clinical specialist role in a big company, right? I mean, that's just kind of how it is. So you have, you have the potential to do some, some upward mobility here and you did that. Rather quickly, right? How long did, were you a clinical specialist with Vertiflex? I was a clinical specialist for a year. Okay. But I mean, you brought up a good point. That was a huge reason also why I joined was because I saw a quicker path to upward mobility than I did at Boston Scientific at the time. Sure. So you get in, you do it for a year. Obviously, things went really well and you take the leap. So it's one thing to get the opportunity to move up. It's another thing to get the offer to take a, a full TM role of which you did, and they call it area sales manager. So you're promoted to ASM. You had like seven, would you have seven or eight accounts or nine when you were a yeah. clinical specialist? So as a clinical specialist, truly at Vertiflex, that was a solely clinical specialist. Like your only expectation was to cover cases. But at that time, my manager, Dan, who also did a really good job of bringing me over to the company, I would just ask him, you know, what can I help with as far as sales? You know, I wasn't getting paid any commission on it, but I knew that I wanted to at least learn. I don't want to just cover a case and then, you know, sit at home. So I wanted to learn what it looked like to be into sales. And so he did a really good job of guiding me through what he needed in certain practices and how I can achieve and kind of break through certain barriers and accounts. And so I learned a lot as a clinical specialist. And then I was promoted to a territory manager for a year and a half and then Manager. All right. Yeah. I left out that part. I forgot that. So really it was a three prong. You went clinical specialist, then territory manager, and then there's to the air sales manager. Sorry. I totally left out the TAM portion of it. So as a TAM and for the listeners, like literally, this is why it's awesome to have Denise on because she went from clinical specialist only covering cases. Then she went to territory manager where they give you, and this is a little bit of a unique structure that Vertiflex does that I actually am a big fan of that they give you, they say, okay, manage this territory. And they cut you out, whether it's, I don't know, Denise, what is it, like seven or eight to nine accounts. And they say, you're in charge of these accounts. You manage it, you grow it, et cetera. So you focus on that small cutout. Once they see you perform there, then they promote you to area sales manager where you're over a much larger area and a much larger responsibility in terms of training physicians, et cetera, et cetera, which I could let Denise get into that later. But that's why, honestly, guys, I brought her on too, so because she's, she's done it well at all three phases, which is hard to do. And so it sounds like Denise, building business acumen was a big was something you needed to do in order to kind of prove that, hey, I can handle a sales job. And you had Dan. Do you recommend just getting as many people involved, the best reps that you can find at the company you're currently at to try and develop 
the business acumen side of it because I know that can be hard to do. Like if you if you're not familiar with the business side, that's an education right there. Yeah. And I think the great thing about Vertiflex me joining when it was so small was that everybody in the field was constantly in touch. So that was different for me because at Boston Scientific, I was only talking to pretty much my team in Chicago or maybe the neighboring team. But with Vertiflex, you know, we're hearing about what's going on in these accounts across the country. And so that taught me a ton about how other people do their business, you know, how my direct manager does their business. At that point, I had also been under two other managers at Boston Scientific. So picking up the best parts from each manager was really helpful. So clinical specialist, you just covered the cases, then you kind of went home and did your thing. That was, and correct me, that is more of like a nine to five, maybe like you do an hour of studying when you get home. But for you, someone who wanted to kind of drive it to the next level, when you got home, what are some things that you were doing to kind of, besides asking your TM or talking to Dan, what were you doing at home? Yeah. So, you know, as a clinical specialist at that point, I was really out in the field a ton because I wanted to learn. And I thought at that point, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into sales. So this was the best trial run to do. But as I first got the job, I mean, when I was at home, I was studying the clinical study, spinal anatomy, lumbar spinal anatomy, just so that I really had everything nailed down. And so if a physician asked me a question, I could answer it on the spot and not have to review some information or call my manager. And so um, I just really nailed down all of that information. And then, you know, as Dan kind of walked me through what was needed in certain accounts, I started reaching out to physicians that I had worked with previously and set up meetings so that we could get them trained. So it was a really cool experience, even as a CS, getting to work with Dan, my manager at the time, to train certain physicians and get those accounts up and running from zero. And essentially, those accounts became what you managed as a TM. Yeah. So it was like a perfect, it's a perfect transition. And it was cool because when I was hired as a CS, we didn't have that transition role of the CM to an ASM. And so myself and a few other, another CS that got hired on the same time, we both knew that we wanted to potentially develop into a sales role. And so we talked to the company about creating this intermediate position, at least a pathway to become an area sales manager. And so it's cool because we were the first ones to be promoted to that role. Oh, see, I learn things every day. I didn't even know that either. I mean, that's like, you didn't even give me that in the pre, like when we were going back and forth. That's very cool. That's very cool. No. So, I mean, you kind of pioneered the TM, the TM role, which I honestly, I'm a huge fan of. I mean, I, I think that's the best way to develop the best talent. And at Vertiflex, I mean, there was some phenomenal salespeople. I mean, just everywhere you turned, there was somebody on the other side that you had really had, which I loved. I absolutely loved the competitive nature of it. And you knew you were kind of running with some of the best in the specialty when you were over there selling. So that's pretty cool that you you pioneered that though. That's definitely a feather in the cap. So you built the business acumen. It sounds like you did a great job doing that as, as the territory manager. Then you step into the ASM role. And the ASM role is just another dig deeper into kind of, especially the Chicago market, where then now, I mean, I don't even know how many physicians practice pain there, but it's quite a few, right? And so you're there. How many ASMs total does Chicago have? Two. Okay, two. So you guys are kind of splitting up Chicago. And I know that you guys are also, you guys have a team, right? So right now you manage how many TMs? Two TMs on my team. And then the other air sales manager has one TM as well. Okay, so quite the crew run in Chicago, which is it's definitely needed. So when you're any kind of tips, Denise, honestly, with like in managing a team and doing it effectively, because before this, right, you didn't you had been managing, I think, one 
you just got a second one, right? And so yeah. you're kind of learning on the fly, so to speak, on yeah. managing and doing it at a high level, which you need to do because a lot of times the TMs are also experienced salespeople. Right. So any, yeah. any kind of tidbits on that one? I mean, to be honest, it's a constantly learning process. I'm sure I'm not perfect at it, but I think I just try and understand what motivates my TMs and what goals they have and try and support them as best as possible. And, you know, give input where I see where they can grow and help them develop those skills as well to be supportive in that. When you were hiring, is there just anything in particular, just like a couple of traits that you would look for? Like when you would go through the hiring process for, for your team, something that you know that works well on your teams? Yeah, I think, Jamie, you said, you know, listening to your gut when deciding on a new job. And I think it's the same thing with hiring. Obviously tough during COVID when we're having to do a lot of things over Zoom because there's nothing that beats meeting somebody in person. But I think a lot of it is going with your gut. And number one, one thing I look for is just the energy to work hard because a lot of people want to be in medical device sales and it's a great industry to be in, but it's not for the faint of heart. It is a lot of work. And so I'm just looking for somebody who is energetic because bringing that energy also to your physicians is going to determine your business, right? So you we got to bring the energy. That, you have to bring the energy. It's going to rub off on your accounts mm. and yeah, just work hard, have that ethic. Honestly, we we both I, I look for the same. I mean, the same exact thing. And I'm not perfect by any means, but I think work ethic you can't teach it. Right. Like I talk about the coachability, but it's also in the territory manager. We need to have somebody who is open to learning, maybe how to improve, because we know our accounts at that point better, and we want them to know the accounts even better than we do. But to get to that point, they have to be coachable as well. Coachable and work ethic. I like it. And I know for a fact, I mean, being an area sales manager too, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. And I think most people would be like, oh, well, the territory, man, I mean, how much, how much else could there be? Right. I mean, you're managing the accounts, but with the ASM role, it's what you do as a TM, but in a much higher level in terms of the kind of the discussions you're having with the clients, with the physicians. And I mean, even to the point where you're deciding on, you know, who gets trained when and who, who you're going to target next, you know, in 2023, you know, and you're in 2020, you got to kind of build the first You got to see it down the road about, about what's going on. And I know that's not, I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. And so I commend you for that. And I think, you know, you bring a lot of good knowledge to this. I, again, love your background. I think it's, it's really fun to have you on the podcast because I think people needed to hear like someone who's been from all the tiers, like athletics, clinical specialists, territory manager, ASM. And I mean, grew the territory. Was it like 400% since you as an ASM? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, just real quick. That's not easy to do. So doing it and doing it at a high level, it's impressive. Is there any advice that you would give a young Denise just getting into, and it sounds like you honestly did everything right, if I'm being honest with you. Would you give yourself any advice? You know what I'm saying? Like It's hard to kind of tease it out because I feel like you did do a ton right. And I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but could you give yourself any advice, maybe a younger Denise into the, you know what I'm trying to say? What am I trying to say here? You're trying to ask what advice I would give to maybe some new people starting out in med device. Okay, like, perfect, would, yeah. Out, right? Yes, that's it. I got you, Jamie. <laughs> All right, what advice? So, yeah, so, you know, when you look at, when we talk about my story now, I'm six years into med device and it's, it's awesome, but we don't see that day-to-day grind that it took to get here. And so number one, I would say just be humble, right? Know that you don't know 
what you haven't learned yet. Be humble, learn as much as you can. And I said, I would say one thing that possibly I did different was whatever role I was in, I would try and take on what that next role was in my current one. So meaning certain activities like product approvals or training positions, asking your manager to be involved in those opportunities so that once you get to that role, you're well qualified, you can talk about specific examples when you get interviewed, and you're just ready to move into that next role. Wow. The thing is, I should have been taking notes on that. You were very ultra prepared. I think that part of that also is being in, you know, being in high level athletics. I mean, you got to be prepped and ready to go, you know, for how long I've known you. I just know that you're always ready for anything. Right. And I think that's that bodes really well for the clinical specialist portion, too, because in a case, you got to be ready for anything. Do you have any stories that you can tell? You don't have to name names, but do you have any stories that you from the OR kind of like where you may have gotten or helped get people out of trouble or maybe remain calm. Cause I think remaining calm, we talked about on the last podcast I did is critical. Any stories again, no, you don't have to do names or anything, but no, I mean, that's huge in medical device sales. So kind of like we talked about the energy that you bring into your accounts is really, really important. And this is another thing that I learned from playing tennis, right? You have your game face on when you go and you play your sport and Everybody always talks about how the mental aspect of athletics is the most important. It's the same in your job. So in medical device sales, when you step into the OR, truly your game face is on. You are support to your position. So it's I truly feel like it's my job to obviously know my product really well and be a good support, but also keep things calm, You know, get things ready and prep for them so that they're ready to go once they're scrubbed and ready to start the procedure. So yeah, there have been cases where inside I'm like, bleep, beep, 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 you know? Yeah. No doubt. And so inside, I'm nervous, but on the outside, cool, calm, and collected, and just walking the physician through specific steps that it might take just to make the case go smoother or get out of a certain spot that we don't want to be in. And and one thing too, I want to point out is how important the OR staff is too. You know, in any role I've had, I've just always tried to build the best rapport I can with the OR staff and like who's going to be working with the doc because I always tell people not to put the blinders on for the physician because I think that we tend to put them in the spotlight, which they deserve the spotlight a lot of the time. But I always treat, and I know you do as well, I always treat the OR staff with a lot of respect. And I also, you know, you're in their house. Yep. And so when you step in there and put your game face on, which I agree with you 100%, like that is your game. That's the tennis court. I mean, when you're in there, it really is. And so when you step in there, you're in their house. You want to mind your P's and Q's, but also help them. You know, I've been in situations where I've I've helped out like a new tech without making like a big deal where she, you know, I know the doctor's particular about the order that the everything's set up. And I helped them out by making them look good without ever really letting anyone know that I helped them. Like I just let them do it and like take the credit for it. Right. I think that's, it's so important to make sure that you're helping them prep the room before the doc gets there. And they really appreciate it because when the doctor steps in the room and things aren't in order, he's not going to be happy with them. So if he wants, we need to help them get set up and just in the most, I think respectful way, you know, we're not stepping in and telling them what to do, but just giving suggestions on, Hey, I know he usually prefers this. Like, did he request that for this case? Because like you said, Jamie, we are stepping into their room. And so the best that we can support them and the physicians, the smoothest everything is going to go. And another thing, the more allies you create in a center, whether it's a materials manager, the tech, the uh, circulating nurse, any kind of allies you can create as a rep is going to help you. Because down the road, you know, there's going to be even if there's not competition, there is going to be at some point. And you want all the insights you can 
when you're not there, when the doctor's doing injections or whatever, maybe he's talking about a product. Maybe he's talking about he or she's talking about something that's coming down the road that they're going to use that maybe might compete with your. So you have that inside track. And I, I can't tell you how many text messages. I mean, I, I like to get on a texting basis. I mean, not with everybody in the OR. I'm not walking around like getting everybody's number being like, hey, you know, let me text you. But you pick the right people and you build a relationship with them because they go to a different center. I mean, in Houston, it's very transitional. I've worked with, I mean, I don't, are you the same way where you've seen yeah. multiple nurses? Yep, I'll be in a surgery center. And they're like, Denise, I'm like, what are you doing here? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. So, so it's a small, big world. And I always remind myself of that when you go in. So, the, you know, the more bridges you burn, it's going to come back to you. It will in some degree. And also in the office too, right? Yeah. The nurses, the MAs, the NPs, everybody in there is so important. We're all a team supporting the physicians, right? And so everybody's a part of the decision-making process. So the sooner that you can realize that and build those relationships, the better off you'll be. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not unique to Vertiflex, but in other roles too, it's like, if you can't, let's just say you go in and you have 10 procedures to get, you know, submitted to insurance. If you do end up having issues with certain insurances and you want to help them, the staff push it through, if you don't know how to help or that person doesn't notify you or doesn't really care about you, they're not going to, I mean, it's going to go to appeal and then they're going to forget about it or go to the bottom of the stack. And then your physician's looking at you like, where, why are we, you're looking at the physician like, Hey, we had these cases and they're looking at you like, I don't know where are the cases. Yep. And then it's just stuck in the middle. So it's the more allies in the clinic. I mean, the better, I mean, the whole clinic needs to be your ally in my opinion. That's one in the OR. It's like, you can, not everybody's going to be in your room all the time, but it's the same clinic staff over and over and over again. So you've got to, you got to be on their good side, no doubt. Or they make your, they can make your job easy or they can make it very, very hard. Yeah. They're, they're so crucial. Um, once you get that position's buy-in to use your procedure, that's number two on the list. Yeah. It's a small, people are like, oh, I sold it to the physician. And I'm like, all right, so 10%'s done. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about, you know, at Vertiflex educating from the front desk all the way to billing and scheduling. And it's so true. Everybody just, the physicians are so busy, right? They're doing so many different procedures, seeing a ton of patients. And so they truly need this entire team, including us. And so we all have to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, no doubt about it. This was really fun. Seriously, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us here on MedDevice Unleashed. We're going to have you back again for our part two. We're going to have to. And, you know, I, I do miss working with you and I wish you the best. And I know we're going to continue talking. You're just super sharp and got a ton of respect for what you're doing out there in Chicago. So I want you to keep it up. Can these, can anyone reach out to you on LinkedIn? I know you're on LinkedIn. Yep. I'm on LinkedIn. Go ahead and reach out if you have any questions. Go ahead and shoot, fire over some messages. She'll get back to you again. Denise, thanks for some time. I appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Wish you all the best. Clutch City Medical. Thank you for listening to this episode of MedDevice Unleashed. Remember, leaving a review can be a fun thing, not a bad thing. Leave us a review and you help the podcast reach as many people as possible. It also boosts our ranking within Apple and Spotify, which then allows more people to listen to the podcast. So the more reviews, the better, the more the merrier. Thank you. See you next time.